Hello and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry. We had a special celebration for St. Therese on her feast day. And we had a wonderful presentation that I'd really like to share with you. It is my delight now to introduce you to our guest speaker, Colleen Solinger. She's been with the Dayton Secular Discast Carmelite community since 2009. And if you ask her who her favorite Carmelite saint is, her answer will be whoever she is currently studying. However, the one who drew her into Carmel is St. Therese, the little flower. So she is honored to be able to give this talk. She's also walked in the footsteps of St. Therese, having visited Lisieux herself. She's been a guest several times on Carmelite Conversations and on our podcast and is one of the formation leaders for the Dayton Secular Order Discalced Carmelites. Her talk is entitled, Making Sense of Suffering with St. Therese. Please welcome Colleen Solinger. Good evening and happy feast day. Tonight we're going to consider making sense of suffering with St. Therese with the God who makes all things new. While some of the stories I will share can be found in her famous Story of a Soul, quite a few come from Last Conversations, which can be considered a sequel to Story of a Soul, and the two-volume Letters, Correspondence to and from St. Therese. The subject for tonight's talk, Making Sense of Suffering, was an obvious choice. We've heard a lot about how our area is seeking healing after suffering natural disaster and an act of violence that both made international news. The secular answer to dealing with suffering is to show that you aren't defined by your tragedy, your illness, or your suffering. It's called self-care, those things that you do to help your well-being during times of distress, getting enough rest and proper nourishment, going for a walk, getting outdoors, keeping focused on positive things, smiling to stranger, finding your support system. And surely this advice is a Catholic approach as well. What the secular world tells us isn't wrong, it's, it's an incomplete picture, though. For believers, the only way to truly come to terms with suffering is to look at God himself, to God who promises, Behold, I make all things new. Don't let anyone tell you that St. Therese didn't understand suffering just because she grew up in a sheltered family, entered a cloistered convent, and died young. Her life was touched by it from the start. Therese Martin was only four years old when she lost her mother to cancer. She herself had fragile health during her childhood. She was separated from two of her older sisters when they went off to the convent, the same sisters who had stepped in to raise her after their mother died. But there were other losses as well. Therese went through a number of lost innocence experiences that are normal for childhood, but more difficult for a sensitive child such as she was. She was shunned by her peers at school because she was smarter than those her age, but also socially awkward. She was easily hurt by the ordinary impatience or cross look from a loved one. As well, Therese's journey to the convent was a rocky one. She heard the call to Carmel at a very early age and felt convinced that she was not meant to wait long to enter. No one believed that a girl of 15 could make the decision to commit to the demanding lifestyle of a cloistered community. Even appealing directly to the Pope, which Therese did do on a pilgrimage to Italy, didn't bring an end to the struggle to enter Carmel. Once Therese was in the convent, she bore a number of crosses. There were instances where she overheard how little she was esteemed by fellow sisters in religion. 
A handful of the Carmelite sisters felt that having so many members of the Martin family in the convent meant that Therese's life was made easy. In reality, Therese was making constant interior sacrifices to not turn to her sisters for comfort during trials. As well, there were times where Therese felt she was never seen as anything other than the littlest by family members who were also Carmelites. There were worries beyond the convent walls as well. The Martin sisters, both the cloistered and the ones still at home, suffered greatly during their father's physical and mental decline. His tendency to wander off made caring for him difficult, too difficult for Celine, the one sister who was left at home. Thus, he was put into a, a mental institution for round-the-clock care. The Martin sisters had to endure the unkind tales of the town gossips, who blamed his decline on those selfish daughters who abandoned him to the convent. For the convent, sorry. The most well-known suffering Therese faced was the tuberculosis that took her life in the end. Once the tuberculosis began its work on her, Therese endured physical sufferings that were so bad, she told her sister, what a grace it is to have faith. If I had no faith, I would have inflicted death on myself without hesitating a moment. She went so far as to warn, watch carefully, mother, when you will have patients a prey to violent pains. Don't leave them near any medications that are poisonous. I assure you, it needs only a second when one suffers intensely to lose one's reason then one would easily poison oneself. As well, Therese suffered from a crisis of faith, unknown even to those living with her, as she shared this only near the end of her life. We're going to consider this important factor in just a bit, but for now, it's important to know that the crisis of faith contributed greatly to her distress. Now, before we can go attempt to go about making sense of suffering with St. Therese, I have to issue a warning. Her remedy, like the message of the cross that we read in 1 Corinthians, is foolish to those who do not want to understand it. For Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The manner in which Therese made sense of suffering was to accept it out of her love for God to use it as an act of oblation in order to help save souls. The way she did this was in the practice of hidden virtue. This practice is well known. People call it her little way. When Pope Benedict XV gave her the title venerable, he declared her practice of virtue to be heroic. Therese took it very much to heart that our sufferings can be united with those of Christ and thus used to save souls. Taking care to make hidden sacrifices was her testimony that she was doing this as a way to show her love for God and not for human approval. This evening, our primary focus is going to be Therese's life in the convent, but I'd like to share first one account from childhood because she felt this incident was a major turning point in her life. It is the story of her transition from childlike attempts at practicing virtue to the spiritually mature Therese. It is the story of her Christmas conversion. She wrote, it was December 25, 1886, that I received the grace of leaving my childhood, in a word, the grace of my complete conversion. The story goes like this. Upon the family's return from midnight mass, the children would put their shoes to be filled with Christmas goodies. The older family members would be pleased to see the children filled with joy as they unwrapped their little surprises. Therese shared that Celine wanted to continue this custom for Therese 
beyond the age that the older Martin sisters had given it up? This Christmas in question, in Teresa's words, Jesus desired to show me that I was to give up the defects of my childhood, and so he withdrew its innocent pleasures. He permitted Papa, tired out after midnight mass, to experience annoyance when seeing my shoes at the fireplace, and that he speak those words which pierced my heart. Well, fortunately, this will be the last year. Therese overheard him say this as she was headed upstairs to put away her hat and coat after mass, and the words did pierce her heart. Filled with grief, her eyes began to fill with tears. Her sister, Celine, witnessed the entire thing. Papa's comment, Therese's reaction. She insisted her sister stay upstairs until she calmed down. But a change came over Therese. She knew that she could still act in a gracious manner, even though her feelings had been hurt. She went back to her father, sat at his feet, and unwrapped her presence as if she hadn't heard what he said. This was not ordinary behavior for the overly sensitive Therese. Celine couldn't believe what she was seeing. Therese felt that she had regained a strength of soul that had been lost since her mother died. As she put it, the work I have been able to do in the last 10 years since mother's death was done by Jesus in one instant. The charity that entered her soul that Christmas was to help her in the practice of virtue. And these acts of hidden virtue were perhaps her greatest spiritual contribution to Lucia Carmel, these she began from the moment she entered the convent. Therese gave examples of her early Carmel years' small practices in virtue in Chapter 7 of Story of a Soul. In one story, she recalls that she needed to find a lamp for the time of great silence. Someone had taken the one meant for her, but rather than feel annoyed or even feeling justly deprived, she decided to feel happy. In her words, feeling that poverty consists in being deprived not only of agreeable things, but of indispensable things too. And so, in this exterior darkness, I was interiorly illumined. Another time, she was accused of breaking a vase and was scolded to be more careful in future. Rather than profess her innocence, she promised her superior to be more careful. It wasn't easy, any of this, and she wrote, because of my lack of virtue, these little practices cost me very much, and I had to console myself with the thought that at the last judgment, everything would be revealed. Therese went to great lengths to show charity to her fellow sisters in religion. She was calm with the short-tempered women. She volunteered to escort the crankiest nun to the refectory, a woman most of the others in the tri convent tried to avoid if they could. Therese confessed in private writing, not in person, how the temperaments of various sisters drove her nuts. Still, she was charitable. No one guessed Therese's true feelings. In fact, Therese wrote in Story of a Soul about one of the sisters she had a hard time liking. So well did Therese treat this sister with love that it wasn't until years after Therese's death that the sister recognized herself as the one mentioned in the story of the soul. Therese's struggles weren't hidden just from people who didn't know her well. Even her sisters and cousin in the Carmel were ignorant of Therese's sufferings and her desire to make the supreme act of sacrifice. Towards the end of Therese's life, she confided in her sister Pauline, who was prioress of the Carmel at the time, that I've suffered from the cold in Carmel even to the point of dying from it. And Pauline added, I was astonished to hear her speak in this way because in the wintertime, her conduct revealed nothing of her suffering. Not even in the coldest weather did I see her rub her hands together or walk more rapidly or bend over more than was her usual habit, as all of us naturally do when we are cold. 
As her body was being ravaged by the tuberculosis, Therese strived to keep her mood pleasant and easygoing for her visitors to her sickbed. She was polite to sisters who interrupted her sleep. She accepted as a sacrifice when someone would sit on the end of her bed, the movement causing her great physical pain. Even in her last days, weak though she was, the sister shared how she would use humor to keep up everyone's spirits. Sister Marie of the Eucharist, who was her own cousin Marie, shared, Then she began to amuse herself by talking about everything that would happen at her death. Because of the way she did this, whereas we should have been crying, she had us bursting out with peals of laughter, so amusing was she. In the last months of her life, Therese had a hard time eating food and even taking her medicine. One of the medicines she took had the appearance of a red currant liqueur. Pointing out the colorful liqueur, her sister, she told her sister Pauline, this glass is an image of my whole life. Yesterday, Sister Therese of St. Augustine said, I hope you're drinking some good liqueur. I answered, oh, Sister Therese, it's the worst possible thing to drink. Well, little mother, this is what happens in the eyes of, creature, of creatures. It always seemed to them that I was drinking exquisite liqueurs, and it was bitterness. But then, characteristic of Therese, she corrected herself, but no, my life hasn't been bitter, because I knew how to turn all bitterness into something joyful and sweet. About six weeks before she died, she stated, The devil is around me. I don't see him, but I feel him. He's tormenting me. He's holding me with an iron hand to prevent me from taking the slightest relief. He's increasing my pains in order to make me despair, and I can no longer pray. I can only look at the Blessed Virgin and say, Jesus. She said that she could no longer pray, but wasn't her inability to do anything other than say the name Jesus, offering her entire self, some of the most powerful praying she had ever done? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing, and Therese made her whole life a prayer as soon as she started making an effort to offer up every little thing that pops up in everyday life. But certainly, she was surrendering all here in the midst of her physical torment. Our modern-day church leader, Cardinal Robert Sarah, tells us prayer must become our innermost respiration. Isn't it interesting that one of the best examples of someone who prayed just like this is the same person whose physical body was literally suffocating? Now, these are all examples of how she put the little way into practice. I want to go back to what I said a few minutes ago about the manner in which Therese made sense of suffering. That was to accept it out of love for God and use this as an act of oblation in order to help save souls. Her love for God and blossoming from that, her love for all souls. This was her motivating factor in everything. She believed in God's promise, Behold, I make all things new. Therese wrote, If I had been rich, I would have found it impossible to see a poor person going hungry without giving him my possessions. And in the same way, when I gain any spiritual treasures, feeling that at this very moment there are souls in danger of being lost and falling into hell, I give them what I possess, and I have not yet found a moment when I can say, now I'm going to work for myself. And she was still determined, even when just living life became so difficult to, for, for her. It is true I'm exhausting myself, but do you know what gives me strength? Well, I am walking for a missionary. I think that over there, far away, one of them is perhaps exhausted in his apostolic endeavors, and to lessen his fatigue, I offer mine to God. At one point, Mother Agnes, that's her sister Pauline, asked her if she wanted to acquire merits for her sacrifices. Therese answered, yes, but not for myself. 
for poor sinners, for the needs of the whole church. Finally, to cast flowers upon everybody, the just and sinners. Even if she ended up with nothing in the end, so confident was she that the graces she received could be passed along to other souls, she was willing to give up her heavenly treasures for others. She wrote, In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. I want no other throne, no other other crown, but you, my beloved. I want you to remember this from tonight's stories about St. Therese. Remember the spiritual suffering she was going through during her time in the convent and certainly during the last year and a half of her life. While she was plagued with doubts, darkness, and anguish, she still believed in embracing it and offering it as well. The Carmelite priest and author, Father Mark Foley, calls the spiritual crisis of hers the uncertain certainty. He describes a period in which she suffered agonizing doubts regarding the existence of heaven, the meaning of her vocation, and God's love for her. She experiences agony even as she still lived as a person of faith. Here's an example of some of the things she was feeling near the end. Frightful thoughts obsess me. Last evening, I was seized with a veritable anguish, and my darkness increased. I want to do good after my death, but fear I will not be able to do so. I do not believe in eternal life. It seems to me that after this mortal life, there is nothing anymore. Father Foley relates how Therese chose to act during this time. It was the choices that Therese made in the face of her darkness that made her trial of faith redemptive. It was how she related to her darkness that made it a participation in the Paschal mystery. Therese did not simply endure the darkness, she chose to embrace it. Hers was no mere stoical abdication to fate, but an acceptance of the cross. An acceptance of the cross. I warned you that making sense of suffering with this remarkable woman is, like the cross, foolish to those who do not want to understand, but the power of God to those who do. Consider these words of hers. I offer up these very great pains to obtain the light of faith for poor unbelievers, for all those who separate themselves from the church's beliefs. I undergo them under duress, but while undergoing them, I never cease making acts of faith. St. Therese underwent her own kind of passion at the end of her life, one physical and spiritual. Therese said to her sister Pauline about three months before her death, My dear mother, I may perhaps appear to you to be exaggerating my trial. In fact, if you are judging according to the sentiments I express in my little poems composed this year, I must appear to you as a soul filled with consolations, and one for whom the veil of faith is almost torn torn aside. Yet, it is no longer a veil of faith for me. It is a wall which reaches right up to the heavens and covers the starry firmament. When I sing of the happiness of heaven and of the eternal possession of God, I feel no joy in this, for I sing simply what I want to believe. She sings what she wants to believe. Does this sound difficult or impossible? C.S. Lewis wrote about this idea of acting with virtue, even if you don't feel it. For mere Christianity, there's a story about someone who had to wear a mask, a mask which made him look much nicer than he really was. He had to wear it for years, And when he took it off, he found his own face had grown to fit it. He was now really beautiful. What had begun as a disguise had become a reality. Therese acted as if she believed. This disguise became a reality because she's now a saint and a doctor of the church. This is a sanctity we can imitate. 
Listen to the words written by her cousin to a childhood friend. People in the world can imitate her sanctity, for she has tried to do everything through love and to accept all little contradictions, all little sacrifices that come at each moment is coming from God's hands. She saw God in everything, and she carried out all her actions as perfectly as possible. Daily duty came before everything else. As for pleasure, she knew how to sanctify it even while enjoying it, offering it up to God. Therese's last weeks on earth were extremely difficult, and she did do those things that modern medicine and psychology recognize as beneficial, those things recommended as self-care in the 21st century. She did her best in a painful situation, to eat and drink as the doctors prescribed. She was wheeled into the out-of-doors for fresh air. She tried to engage pleasantly with her community, and her way of focusing on the positive was to surrender herself to God, confident that her oblation would be used to help others. She fortifies us from her place of weakness. Only weeks before her death, she had this to say. Many souls say, I don't have the strength to accomplish this sacrifice. Let them do then what I did, exert a great effort. God never refuses that first grace that gives one the courage to act. Afterwards, the heart is strengthened and one advances from victory to victory. We know Therese suffered. We know she sacrificed. We know she accepted this for love of God. I know, a folly to unbelievers, but hope to those of us who believe. Like St. Therese, we make sense of suffering by giving everything to God and then allowing him to make all things new again.